You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. But I think as you grow up and, you know, as you get into your 30s, I think you start to realize that closure isn't really what we expect it to be. How's it going? Welcome to Figuring Out 30. This is the podcast exploring the chaos, confusion and clarity that comes with life in our 30s. My name's Bridget Husswaite. I hope you're good. Um, I'm coming off the back of a pretty quiet a week as opposed to the previous one. If you listened to the previous episode, you would know that I spent some time in Darwin and Sydney and I've been back in Melbourne and oh man, I think I'm going to have to do like an upcoming episode and it's kind of fitting that this one features a psychologist because I literally just sent off an email to go see my psychologist again. It has been a while since I've taken my brain for a service. Um, I was really on top of my mental health in terms of like therapy and stuff in 2021 and I was seeing my psychologist pretty regularly up until like mid last year and then I kind of just dropped the ball Things were busy. I also like real talk. It's expensive. It was kind of hard to maintain, but I've completely dropped the ball and my psychologist has changed clinics. So now I'm requesting to get like my files transferred to her new clinic because I really got along with her um, and there's going to be a lot to catch up on. This last week has been just really emotional and I might have to do an upcoming episode on like my most recent little menti B because I definitely had one on Saturday but I'm okay now <laughs> and yeah I mentioned that there is a psychologist on this episode this episode we're actually focusing on closure are you someone that needs to seek closure like if a relationship ends whether it's romantic or if it's a friendship um, do you need to know why it's ended before you move forward we can link closure to you know all sorts of things like jobs leaving jobs starting is pretty much ending a chapter so how do you move forward and do you require closure because it is a common thing that people want and that people seek and for me I know I've experienced a lot of endings in like the first two years of my 30s I have experienced the end of a relationship I've also experienced the end of a friendship I quit my job Um, and even learning stuff about people who have passed away and not being able to get answers because you know they're dead Um, I've experienced all of that so I thought an episode on closure would be really beneficial not only for me but hopefully for you too so we are going to unpack all of this the concept of closure with Chris Cheers who is a Melbourne-based psychologist and he's the author of the new rule book it was so nice to get him around to my house and sit down and have this chat we talk about why we feel we need closure and what to do when we don't get it and Chris also shares some insight on why he thinks relationships end And how we need to reframe the way in which we label emotions as good and bad. So, yeah, there's a lot of things to take away from this chat. I hope there's at least something for you, at least one thing. So let's get into it. It's figuring out 30 or rather figuring out closure with Chris Cheers. Chris, welcome to my house and welcome to Figuring Out 30. Thank you. So lovely to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited to chat to you about closure and everything that you've kind of dived into in your book as well, which we will, of course, touch on. But there's already immediate links when I was going through the book that I was making with the concept of closure. How how do you define, as a psychologist, how would you define closure? I think that's probably the best question to start with. Yeah, I think closure for psychologists is about when we've processed something. So I think when we talk about processing, we use this a lot in psychology to talk about like processing emotions or processing relationships, which basically for us means when you talk about something in such a way that allows you to sort of make space for it. So it sort of becomes part of your history rather than something that's overwhelming mm. or you process an emotion to such a degree that you make sense of it and, and you know, therefore you're allowed to kind of move on. So I think closure is basically for psychologists a process of 
processing, whatever that might look like, whatever you're trying to get closure about. It's about making meaning from it so it can become kind of part of your history or identity rather than really, really overwhelming. Yeah, I like the way that it's worded from a psychologist's perspective. You know, the key word for me there is obviously processing because it feels a much more gentle as opposed to um, putting an end to something, closing, like processing is it's still in a sense is an ongoing thing, but it, it just sounds emotionally nicer. Well, I, I hope so. well, yeah, and it's not so binary. I guess closure yeah. has this idea that you eventually, whether it's a relationship or whatever it is you're trying to get closure on, when we call it closure, it's got this sense of like we just, I don't know, wake up one day and it's done, like that we've got closure, we've closed that door. But I think closure is never exactly like that. Like I don't think it ever just becomes completely processed. Yeah, I think you're right. Like process is a it's a process, for yeah. lack of a better word. Yeah, and so it's something that that it. It's almost about like that emotional memory or that relationship. It's still part of you. It's still there, but it just means you've reached a point where you're maybe not thinking about it all the time or it's not impacting your life anymore. Yeah. Okay, true. So the ways in which we, I mean, the different kinds of closure, because when that word pops up, people obviously immediately think of relationship breakdown, but it can, we can seek closure for all sorts of different things. So what, what do you see as a psychologist that people are coming to you to to attain that in what aspects of their lives beyond relationships? Yeah, I think closure is mostly about um, grief in many ways. Mm. Like closure is really a word we often use when we have lost something, whether that be a loss of a job, a loss of a relationship, um, a, a loss of some something that we weren't expecting, that we closure is I think our way of saying we want this maybe grief feeling to be over or, mm. or finished. So I think in many ways closure can therefore pretty much relate to anything where there's been a loss. Um, and obviously, as you said, most of the time it's relationships. But I think closure on, on I guess, jobs and career is what I'm seeing a lot at the moment, like people kind of changing career or wanting to. but And with every kind of change, there's always – a we might be gaining something but there's always a loss as well with most changes as well so even though maybe you've you know made the choice of a new career or a new job there still be might some closure that you need there about that past life or that that past career you know I think I work with a lot of people who maybe get into jobs and they kind of think oh well this this is who I am mm. and therefore to leave something like that when you start defining your job as who you are to leave that is actually quite a you know, big process of identity. So I think that's why, you know, serious closure is sometimes needed from jobs, um, but also mostly relationships, I mm. guess, I see. And of course, it pops up throughout our life too. But would you think it would be fair to say, because um, what I've kind of observed now navigating my 30s, there's been a lot of closure for a lot of things. Like this is a pretty um, dominant time for closure. Would you think that's a, a fair thing to say for people in their 30s at that span of their lives? Yeah. I mean, I reflect on my own life as well as my clients, I guess. So yeah. I work a lot with people in identity. So I'm a, a psychologist who works a lot with people, you know, from about like 18 through to 30. And a lot of that identity stuff I work in might be about sexuality, it might be about gender, but also I really just help people work out who they are. Mm. And I think your 20s really are a time maybe where you're experimenting. Well, I hope people feel safe enough and are in a place where you can experiment with different jobs or different relationships or different kinds of parts of your identity. But I think you're right. I think 30s is when you maybe start to to filter down to maybe, okay, no, this is what I really want to, to be or this is who I really am. And I think that is going to cause closure because you might start losing those relationships that maybe you are noticing are not meaningful anymore mm. or you start changing from jobs that you thought were going to be who you were but maybe you were just doing it because you're expected to do it like I think I think that's another way to think about 30s is maybe you stop doing what you're expected to be doing and actually start maybe making some choices about well what do I want what is my what do I want my life to look like? Yeah, you you have a um, a piece in the forward of your book that really connects with that, which we'll get into in a second. But why do you think people want closure so badly? Do you think we want it more than what we should want it? Like, do we need it as much as we think? I think what people want and what they get is maybe two different things with yeah. closure. Like, I think, <laughs> especially if it's the first time you've been through a serious loss or a loss of a relationship or a breakup or, you know, a big change... I think if that's the first time you've done that, you might think that there's going to be a time where it just, 
you know, it's gone. <laughs> it's like it never happened. Mm. But I think as you grow up and, you know, as you get into your 30s, I think you start to realise that that closure isn't really what we expect it to be. There's, there's not a point where we suddenly just feel okay about everything. I think we start to realise that it's complex. It's something that is sort of a, a process that we might be in for a really long time. You know, I don't think closure ever comes quickly. Um, and I think what people want sometimes from closure is actually almost we want something that maybe we're not going to get because mm. it's beyond our control. So what I'm thinking of here is sometimes people might want closure from a relationship that is about someone else, like their ex-partner often, saying something or doing something. Often I see this in practice. People want an answer for why a relationship broke up, like a definitive like this is why it happened. And I think that's the thing that never quite happens because I don't think there's ever like a clear you know one sentence kind of meaningful like this is why it happened I think human beings are complex and when you put two or more human beings together in relationships it's even more complex so I think what people want is an answer when they I think are talking about closure but I think what people actually work out is closure is a lot more about just acceptance Mm. of well maybe I'm not going to get that thing that I'm hoping for and maybe that's okay yeah, control is again key word there. It's it, it kind of gives us the sense of control, and I guess in the um, context of a relationship breakdown that you may not have, you know, initiated, that sense of closure may feel like that you're getting some sort of control over the situation. Do you think people fail? And I think I've been guilty of this, like to see closure as you know we think of control but reframing it to be more so I guess an opportunity to learn do we forget about that yeah I think hopefully closure is a bit about learning for people like like when you're talking about wanting that sense of you know meaning like why did this happen Mm. I think sometimes people do want to learn you know I don't want this to happen again so how can I learn from this experience Mm -hmm. so I think it is about learning sometimes for people but I think other times closure is a bit more about people maybe, you know, getting that apology or or getting, being let off the hook or, you know, I think sometimes people aren't so insightful about, like they're not actually reflecting on the part they might've played in Mm. in this. And I think that's a really important part of closure is, is actually accountability and acceptance, which is the, unfortunately that's got nothing to do with anyone. That's an internal sort of process of you actually being able to reflect and go, hang on, you know, this was my part in this. And I think that's the point that actually brings people closure. Mm-hmm. I think much, I think we often spend too much time focusing on we need to have that final conversation mm. or we need to hear those words or someone needs to tell us why it needs why it happened. I think the the actual way we often get closure is that moment we can have for ourselves to be able to say, okay, I know what my part in this was. And that can be my learning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What does it mean for me moving forward? What about our like personality types? Um, Can that affect how we, yeah, how we seek closure, how much we value it? Because I think of personality types. I remember when I was seeing my psych and we went into like the schemas as well and attachment styles. So do you think they all have a part to play and can kind of reflect on how, how different people you know, approach closure based on those things? Yeah, absolutely. Our, you know, our attachment type or and our personality is going to have a huge impact on how we will understand the end of a relationship. Yeah. And which is kind of, if we focus on that part of closure for a second, you know, if a relationship ends, depending on your, your personality type and your attachment style, for example, you're going to make different meaning out of that, mm. especially if it comes out of nowhere or if it's unexpected or you don't really know why it's happened. You know, for example, if you have, you mentioned a schema there. So one of those schemas might lead you to think that, you know, it's your fault. Like there's something wrong with me. That's why this relationship ended. But someone with a different schema might kind of be able to see, well, no, it's their fault. Like, cause it's, you know, I'm, I'm great. And it's, you know, it's their fault that it happened. Same with attachment styles, you know, someone with a anxious attachment style might get very concerned about what did I do to sort of end this relationship. Some with an avoidant attachment style might be more likely to say, oh, I'm fine anyway, it didn't matter that that relationship ended. So, yeah, our our personality types, our schemas, our just our outlook on the world, mm. our attachment style are all going to really affect the, the meaning you make out of space. So what I mean by that is when, you know, if you don't know why this has happened or you're trying to make meaning and you don't have information or you're not getting the information, there's just kind of blank space. We're left and our mind is left to 
make sense of that. And depending on our kind of personality type, we're going to make different sense out of that space. Mm. It's, it's like I kind of look at it like a jigsaw puzzle and we might just go depending on our different personality types or whatever, we're all going about putting the pieces back together differently. Why am I thinking of like a survivor, like immunity challenge and everyone's like, do you know what I mean? It is a puzzle. It is, you know, it is trying to get, you know, to make sense of something is, is often all about us. Yeah. Using whatever skills we have, you know, the closure survivor, I guess would be about, (laughs) you know, trying to use the skills you have to kind of make it through and, we will all have different psychological skills to deal with difficult circumstances and emotions and all these sorts of things. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think we <laughs> are using whatever skills we can to kind of make it to the end. Yeah. Also, for those listening who heard the word schema and they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? How how would we quickly define that? It's just a, a mindset or a way that, that you view the world. Okay. So, uh, you know, uh, one that I have, for example, is a self-sacrificing schema. Oh, yeah. Which is very common. how many are there? Like, oh, it if, keeps changing, to yeah. be honest. It used to be like 12, 15, 17. Like, yeah, the the kind of authors and the main researchers every so many years kind of add more schemas so I'm not sure how many we're up to now but one of the the main yeah the main ones is yeah self-sacrificing for example like that I have and a lot of psychologists have this which basically means makes sense because we want to help people but self-sacrificing tends to mean that we 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 help people above and beyond our own needs you know and so that will lead me to view relationships with a sense of like if I, you know, start a relationship or start a friendship, I will immediately go into a mindset of what what do I have to do for this person? What 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 do they need? You know, because that's my mindset. Mm. That's what we mean. And often our schemas develop or they, they come from experiences from our past, mostly from childhood. So mm. we develop a kind of a way of viewing the world which impacts our adulthood. Going back to how we approach closure and whether or not we need it, I read somewhere that it was like closure can prevent healing. Can you see that happen in some instances? It depends what the closure has been. You know, if some people, if their version of closure is very like they've just decided that it's, you know, this this is why it ended and they've got a very kind of, you know, almost like a very strong view about that that's unchangeable and that's just the way it is, then I can sort of see how that might prevent healing because maybe their understanding was, oh, this person was just an idiot and it was completely their fault and it came out of nowhere and it had nothing to do with me. Mm. If that's the kind of closure you've got to, then, yeah, that might be preventing that healing that comes from, you know, personal work, that comes from thinking about, well, what was my part in this? And, you know, and this, again, if we relate this to your 30s, you know, sometimes by your 30s, maybe you've had a couple of relationships sometimes or you've had some experience in relationships and normally what happens, your 20s, you tend to blame everyone else mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think your 30s, you start to go, oh, hang on, there's these relationships kind of keep hi. happening. Yeah, hi, I'm, I'm the problem, it's me. me. <laughs> I think that's what your 30s are about. You start to realise, yeah, maybe I'm a bit of the problem here and, and yeah. work that out. I love how Taylor Swift helping us normalize that, <laughs> that realization. <laughs> so good. I remember when I was dumped, so two years ago, I was at that time I was listening to a lot of podcasts and I remember listening to a podcast about confirmation bias. Do you see a link? Well, maybe you can explain confirmation bias and because, yeah, I felt like there was some sort of link between that and the adventure of seeking closure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, confirmation bias is basically uh, when we talk about biases cognitively, what we mean is that they're things that our brain tends to do more so than other things. And, and one of the biases that we tend to have is that we look for information that confirms what we already believe to be true. Yeah. You know, it's kind of, and I don't want to get kind of cancelled here for taking on horoscopes, but, <laughs> but that can be part of it. That if you read lots of horoscopes, we tend to just choose the bits that kind of match with our lives. Yeah, and we tend fair. to feel like, but we might ignore the other stuff that yeah. doesn't really match with our lives. Um, and this can happen in, yeah, in breakups and closure as well, that we might look for the evidence in the relationship that maybe, you know, for example, let's say we're going to a place where we want to just blame our ex for everything. We're going to think about our relationship and just choose out the evidence that agrees with the fact that he was you know or she was you know or they were like they're an idiot and and we'll just find the evidence that that actually agrees with that so i think with closure you know that might come part of it that confirmation bias that you're just looking for the evidence that agrees with what what you need and this is a really common thing to bring up that idea of having 
a conversation yeah. that brings closure. And often when I'm working with clients who might be wanting that conversation or friends who might be wanting that conversation, I often say, well, before you go into that conversation, have a think about what would what do you want out mm. of it? And what would a successful conversation look like? Mm-hmm. And what happens if you don't get and it? And what happens if you don't get yeah. it? Yeah, because that's likely, right? Yeah. <laughs> extremely likely. <laughs> and extremely likely because this, you know, this person may have a completely different mindset than you at that time. Um, but I think and sometimes when you're actually, when push comes to shove and you sit down, you realise that what you want out of that conversation is just never going to happen. So it can be, as you said, maybe easier not to have it mm. or at least make sure before you go into the conversation that you're you're able to know what it's for. And, and manage it, the expectations. And manage the expectation yeah. and focus on what's in your control. Like yeah. sometimes that closure conversation, we can go into it being really focused on what we need to hear from the other person. Mm-hmm. You unfortunately can't control that. So we can't be focused on that. But alternatively, you might go into that conversation going, you know what, this conversation is actually just about me getting to say what I need to say. Mm-hmm. And that's very different. If, if you need a closure conversation to, to say something, you know, to express what you needed or to express something that will be helpful for you, mm-hmm. then I think it's a great idea to have that conversation. If you're going to that conversation just because you want to hear something from the other person, that's when it might not be so helpful. Mm-hmm. And that is also when confirmation bias can creep into that situation too, right? Just like picking it, picking it, picking it. And yeah, we've been talking a lot about closure, I guess, from the, mm, I guess, being on the receiving end. How can we give other people closure like I don't know if we think about that much so maybe we've dumped them or like we're just on the other end so is that an important thing to consider like how how can we give people closure moving forward in our decisions and our relationships and stuff yeah it it takes the hardest thing which is honesty and and openness with with another person and I think this is where we're sort of getting into the psychology of relationships in some ways which is interesting to think about that often in relationships, we they end because we grow distant um, and we don't talk about it because we're afraid that if we actually bring up the issues or we bring up the problems in the relationship, that that will end the relationship. Mm. But it's actually quite the opposite, that because we we're so afraid of bringing up the thing that we don't bring up the thing and then not bringing up the thing breeds kind of distance and then that distance is what ends relationships, not conflict. So I think... The answer always, whether it be during a during a relationship, when you're in tough times, when you're breaking up, the the way through those is always to try and go to that place of vulnerability, to mm-hmm. actually be honest, to express your emotions, and to just really sit down with someone and just let them know, you know, what this relationship was like for you or or what you're going through. And I think unfortunately we really do avoid those conversations. And that's so if your version of closure is, well, I want someone to be honest with me about where they're actually at, then that that's an okay that thing to ask for someone. Fortunately, you can't control it. They might mm. not be able to give it to you. But I think that's really what closure often needs to be about, like, which is the same as, you know, making a relationship work. It, it's that really hard stuff of actually sitting down, expressing your emotions, but I can promise you in every relationship I've ever worked with personally, every relationship I've ever been in, when you express how you're feeling and you're honest with someone, it always brings you closer together. Yeah. Because it finally, it helps you both understand where you're actually at. And until you express where you're at, someone can't validate you and and you can't feel understood. And I think really that's often what we're needing in relationships. Just a heads up too, if you were listening to like the calming tones of Chris just then and hearing some like water um, to aid in the tranquility, it was just Daisy fucking lapping up her water. Did you hear it? It was so loud. (laughs) She was like fully necking her bowl. Um, But also when we talk about these things too, the um, unwillingness to confront the negative emotions and that balance of, you know, being able to do that and embrace the vulnerability and the uncertainty. Like why are we so scared to confront these negative emotions? Well, part of it is just that first thing, calling them negative emotions. Like I think we just grow up with this mentality and we're taught it from every which way that there's good emotions and there's bad ones. And if you're having the bad ones, you should do everything you can to control them or get rid of them. Right. You know, and so we learn therefore that actually what we need to do is actually avoid those negative emotions. And this is where one of those biases come in again. So your brain has a bias to avoid immediate threat. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is 
your brain, you know, wakes up every day and its aim is to avoid risk. And so if it ends the day having avoided risk, it's like, that's a great day for me. But the problem is we over time have learned that emotions are risk. So back in, you know, cave people time, there was lions and, you know. Tigers and bears, oh my. I was about to say that. (laughs) That's what I always say when I say lions. Um, But we used to, those were the threats. And so we would have to be focused on avoiding those because that would help us survive. So that brain has now evolved. Now it's still focused on threat, but we're not so, you know, we don't have lions and tigers and bears around <laughs> much for most people anymore. Yeah. And so what, what we have is now we have this prefrontal cortex, which has evolved over time, which is that part of your brain that can imagine things. So what we've built through evolution is this kind of exquisite anxiety machine that's able to imagine threats and then our body responds. And so what your brain has sort of learned to do is that it's not lions that are threats anymore, it's anxiety and stress and worry and sadness. So we we just start avoiding situations or conversations or phone calls that we think are going to make us feel like that. Mm. And that avoid. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Guidance becomes a real difficulty in relationships because, yeah, as you said, we avoid these things all the time, but it's, it's kind of this really annoying thing that psychologists say all the time that we have to face the thing that we are avoiding that's the only way through Mm. often and in relationships it's exactly the same you we need to start to understand that actually negative emotions aren't an indicator that we're doing something wrong or if this conversation is making us feel anxious that we shouldn't be having it it's exactly the opposite often important conversations meaningful conversations feel like that because they're meaningful And so we need to start seeing that, you know, these emotions are a normal part of the process of having a meaningful relationship and getting closure rather than something that we need to avoid. Mm, The way in which you talk about emotions, they're like, why the hell are we not, you know, talking about that in that manner in like school and stuff? Wouldn't it make a world of difference if we were talking about it in that way in like as we're growing up? Why not? <laughs> and emotional intelligence is something you know some schools teach you know this is there is a movement around the world to kind of do this mm. um but yeah most schools know and you know the short answer is well because teachers and adults uh don't want to talk about emotions either yeah. so <laughs> yeah. they, they don't want to teach about them that it's like with, it's a huge cultural Triggered. shift to yeah. actually and kids by and large are actually they're pretty good at expressing their emotions. Mm. The problem is the adults around them start telling them to stop. Yeah. You know, boys don't cry or, you know, girls, you know, don't get hysterical, no need to get upset, don't get angry. You know, we start to receive these messages rather than receiving messages which we need to learn, which is not how to get rid of our emotions, but actually how do we kind of regulate our emotions? Regulate, understand them. Yep. Breathe, you know, talk about them, breathe through them. Those are the kind of skills that, yeah, people like me, like psychologists, have to teach people in their 20s and their 30s because when they're kids, we yeah, we don't get taught that. We kind of get told to just don't feel them or mm. don't express them rather than how do we accept them, process them, move through them. You know, there's a huge movement. I see this changing about parents, you know, learning how do we help our kids not to just feel happy, mm-hmm. but how do we get our kids to get better at feeling, you know, rather than just feeling better. Mm-hmm. Like and you know, these are the kind of parenting skills that are really important to teach your kids. Like not, you know, don't get upset or don't get angry, but actually, you know, asking these, asking your kids, you know, what are you feeling? Why are you feeling like that? Yeah, why do here's, you think that is? Here's why it makes sense that you feel like that. I feel like that too. You know, let's sit in this feeling for a while. They're, they're the kind of skills that, yeah, that parents are having to feel because schools aren't doing it. Mm. But if your parents don't do it and the school doesn't do it, then... That's where I guess psychologists come in in your 30s to, yeah, in your <laughs> to 30s. help you with this sort of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so what are some tips, I guess, are there any immediate tips for, you know, if we're not satisfied with the closure provided, are there any immediate things that we can do, whether it's, you know, 
yeah, like embracing your small network or even like journaling and stuff? Like are those practical kind of things helpful when we don't get what we wanted from that um, experience? Yeah, so as we said before, anything that helps you process. So for some people that might be journaling, might be therapy, might be talking to friends, all of that is is a great aim and remembering the aim of processing is acceptance you know this is why it's kind of similar to grief closure because you know we go through those stages and although there's a lot of evidence that like the stages of grief probably aren't the best way to understand grief in yeah, some ways to like it. yeah it's not like grief goes through these simple stages of like and then anger and, the, and then you're done yeah. but closure is kind of the same it, it does go through lots of stages but they just they're not in this kind of specific order and then you're done but i think the one part of you know, um, the stages of grief that is helpful is that the final step is the acceptance. And I think that's sort of the same for closure. You're not trying to like, you're never going to get full understanding of everything, mm-hmm. but how do you get to a point where you can just accept that this is this is all you're going to get, you know, if, if you're dependent on trying to have that conversation. Mm. So, yeah, so the tips would be make sure you try and I think create an opportunity for the conversation. So not avoid the conversation, you know, reach out to someone and say, either stuff I want to say or and and see what happens. But then if then that conversation doesn't provide you what you need, then it's about going, okay, well, what can I do on my own? You know, what what is beyond my control here, which is what my ex might, what I need them to say. I can't get them to do that. So then thinking about, well, what is the internal process? What is the closure that's in my control here? You know, and that's about, yeah, talking to friends, journaling about, you making meaning of this experience like every relationship we can learn from i think and we can think about you know and and reflect on and and that's the kind of closure i think we're in control of and from your perspective like when you're helping someone uh you're guiding them through that need to get closure or whatever among these tips and stuff but are you doing like questionnaires or is there like a scale of closure like how do you yeah, like what other things are you doing from your perspective in that consult? Yeah, I'm probably, you know, always being aware of their mental health and well-being generally. So, you know, maybe this specific conversation or time is about closure, but there might be other things happening for that person. So we've always got to be aware that just because, you know, something is a current issue doesn't mean that behind that there might be other mental health or well-being issues that, that need to be considered as well. Mm-hmm. So often relationships and the end of relationships can be quite a triggering experience for, um, you know, perhaps a traumatic background or, or something in your past that means that an end of relationship, you know, you might experience that as like abandonment or this sense of like you're, you're worthless or that. And so these ends of relationships can be quite, quite triggering sometimes. So sometimes that's the work that needs to be done. Mm. Either understanding, you know, what are those beliefs about yourself that are leading you to feel like this about this breakup, you know, rather, you know, the difference between walking away from a breakup, if you have a belief that you are worthy and you are good enough, then a breakup is not that, you know, (laughs) you can just kind of say, well, yeah, that happened. We were not compatible. It didn't work out, but I'm worthy. I'm good enough. It's okay. If your beliefs are, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough. I'm not lovable. Obviously the end of a relationship is going to trigger a lot of, you know, you know, really, intense kind of emotional experiences for you Mm. so often the end of relationships might be a space where we can start to explore that and start to challenge some of those beliefs Um, and that might be the work that a psychologist does do you mind if we go into some comments uh, and reflections I suppose so I had a few listeners send in their thoughts on closure and how it kind of stems into their experience and um, some of them aren't necessarily asking for advice or whatnot but they're just saying like how it's affected them this one I thought was actually really interesting which I would be curious to get your take they said I think I'm trying to get closure on the relationship before breaking up which sucks lol I didn't is that can you do that I mean It might mean, you know, one thing I hear from them is that person is trying to process the relationship and understand the relationship and maybe trying to reach a place of closure before they choose to end the relationship, which if we take the word closure out of it, like that's a useful thing to do to reflect about the relationship and where it's going and and how it is. So I think that's a useful thing to do in some cases. But what I would say though is in a relationship, sometimes we avoid talking to our partner about how we're feeling and we tend to almost do these things by ourselves Mm. like we it's a for example it's a problem if you're in a relationship and you're talking a lot about the relationship to all your friends but not to your partner or partners so I think that's something to be aware of that if you are trying to if you're thinking that 
this relationship isn't working or you're thinking this relationship needs to end, I would invite you to have the vulnerable conversation with your partner and express that because that's when the really useful work can be done. What, uh, this one is one year from a breakup and I still can't close my heart to it. I think about him every day and just can't let it go. I'm a very sentimental person is, yeah, going back, I guess, to our personality types, attachment styles and whatnot, but they're asking, is closure harder for sentimental people and empaths? Str- struggling not to dwell, but accept and move forward. Yeah, I mean, it's hard for everyone, and, mm. but it will be a completely different individual experience based on the relationship, but also based on you. So, yeah, I would say knowing that these emotions are really difficult and challenging and that's a normal part of, of a breakup, but I think one helpful way to think about it is that those emotions might be something that you have to learn to sort of almost make space around. So this is something we talk about in grief, but I think it's quite similar with closure that if anyone's ever been through a really, you know, significant loss, what they'll say is grief doesn't go away. You know, it's just, we make space around it. Mm -hmm. You know, we build a, we build a life and we grow with it. So I think that's maybe a different way to think about it, you know, for this person is, those feelings notice that you can be feeling like that and still build a life and and grow around that feeling rather than feeling like you know that these emotions mean that i can't move on you can i think susan david who wrote a book called emotional agility talks about that courage is fear walking meaning that you can have uncomfortable emotions and still choose to do things still choose to live your life Mm. we don't need to feel like our emotions are the reason we don't do something it's about just knowing that those emotions are something that we can make sense of we can make meaning of we can name we can be okay with rather than trying to do this thing that makes them go away Mm. i think it's much more about focusing on what is meaningful in our lives what what can we do today that is meaningful to us that that is good for ourselves and then knowing that you can do that no matter how you're feeling Mm. and then slowly over time I think you then start to build a life and grow around that that feeling and slowly over time although that feeling's still there it will become less overwhelming. Another person said, I recently gone through losing my best friend in a big friendship group of 11 years. I never received the closure I thought I deserved. I have had to shift my mindset to acceptance, accepting I won't ever find out why they did stop talking to me. We have a bit of a bias that we think that people do things because of us. And this- True. <laughs> whereas a lot of the time, and if you think about your own actions, you're always, you're often doing things that have nothing to do with the other person. Yeah. They're all about you and where you're at right at that yeah. point. So it's really helpful sometimes to consider that. Like when someone has done something or said something or ended a relationship or ended a friendship, try and remember that, hang on, sometimes what they're doing maybe has a lot less to do with me then my brain is kind of telling me right mm-hmm. now. And that can be a helpful way through when you're not being given the closure or the because often people don't want to tell you why maybe they ended a friendship because often it can be very personal. It can be they're going through something significant that actually has nothing to do with you. But your brain is going to because in many ways your brain's quite egotistical. It tends to think that you everything's know, about everything's me. about me and this, character. <laughs> exactly yeah. they're doing it because of me i did something wrong and this is especially true you know when we're kids you know if you've had difficulties with with parents or difficulties in your family childhood's a time where you really think that everything is your fault mm-hmm. like when parents are fighting kids go well that's because of something i did so that can really lead to this way of understanding the world as an adult where you just think oh it's because of me you know they left me because of me this friendship ended because of me it's often very little to do with you and a lot more to do with them. Good point. I'm glad you raised that one. This final uh, one that I'll read, I've got unresolved conflict with my dad who passed away and his death isn't closure for me. What can I do? I kind of relate to this one as well. Like, yeah, if someone passes and there's something unresolved or even if someone passes and maybe at the time you didn't even think there was conflict, but then you might find out some shit about them like a decade on and you're like, well, fuck, like, what do I do? Like, you know, I have questions. I can't get, clearly can't get the answers. Yeah. And that, that is hard, but it's about returning back to that idea of what, what is in my control here? You know, is this something that I need to talk to other people about to help process it? And, and again, what I mean by process there is how can you make sense of this information so you can, when psychology would say integrate it into yourself, meaning how can you make sense of this in a way that allows you to see it as part of your life, 
or part of your history, but not in a way that that is something that you keep focusing on or something that keeps Im- impacting you. And sometimes the way to do that is that you just have to build some sort of narrative or story or something around that that bit of information that allows you to kind of, you know, keep it as part of you. And then that normally comes from talking to people, journaling, mm. you know, knowing that it wasn't your fault. Like all these sorts of things can sometimes be helpful to do that. And it's okay to accept too that like it might take time for those things too. Yeah. Like This yeah. is why I keep talking about sometimes journaling, sometimes talking to friends, but sometimes it's therapy. And yeah. Sometimes it's years of therapy, you know, because these significant things can, as we mentioned before, sometimes we avoid, especially in parent, uh, in family relationships or in love relationships or in friendships, we avoid talking about stuff sometimes for years and years and years. So sometimes it's not until something like this comes up that suddenly we have to process lots of things because mm. we haven't been talking about anything for years. So it makes sense then that it's going to take time and, and that's okay. Processing do be a process. <laughs> <laughs> it is a process. Yeah. Trust, trust the process. Trust the say. process and remember process. <laughs> Let's dive a little bit into the book as well because, yeah, as I mentioned before, it's a lot of the topics that you cover definitely intertwine with closure in some way. So the new rule book. First I want to ask how did you find the process of writing a book because you obviously <laughs> are a verbal communicator but how did you find writing? Yeah, it's interesting to talk about being a verbal communicator because – when I was sitting down to write it, like it sort of all started from um, – so during lockdown I started writing these Instagram posts that because I was not in a good place as a psychologist because <laughs> I was down here in lockdown for, you know, anyone else down in Nam, we were all in this together. Yeah, I wasn't coping and I was like, hang on, if I'm not coping, maybe it's going to help people know that I'm a psychologist and I'm not coping. Hell yeah. <laughs> so and was that the exact response? Like, yeah. Oh. They were just it became really popular. Like people wanted to to feel like how they were feeling was okay, you know. And and also, I at the end of each one, after I kind of tried to tell people like, hey, it's normal to feel like this, you know. You're not having an abnormal reaction. You're having a normal reaction to a really abnormal time. Um, and then at the end, I tried to add some sort of strategies, you know, something that maybe I was doing that was helping me yep. that might be helpful for them as well. And I think people really related to that to this sense of like, oh, you're going through this as well. It's helping you. Maybe, you know, I can give this a go. So then I was like, okay, well, if these posts are so popular, I started thinking about, well, maybe I as a psychologist can only ever see so many people in a day. I really can't help that many people as a private psych. Mm. So, and I, there's so much knowledge in psychology that I think, as we were talking about before, we're not taught about how to process emotions and all this stuff at school. So I thought about, you know, Maybe I can add my voice. There's lots of great books out there, but maybe I can add a book that's a bit more accessible, mm-hmm. a bit more inclusive. inclusive yeah. And one of the big parts of that was I wanted to sound like almost a friend talking to you. Yeah. So when when I sat down to write it, like I'm I'm quite a crazy extrovert. I need people. So it was very weird and difficult for me to sit at a computer and write a book. So the way that always got me through actually was like, okay, I've got to pretend like I'm talking to someone. Yeah. So that's what the tone of voice sort of became really yeah. in the end. It's not like it's not very kind of academic or it's, you know, it, it, it's meant to feel conversational. Yeah. Um, and because I wanted that because I wanted it to feel accessible. Yeah. No, I love that. And it's so important, you know, when we are talking about like heavy subjects, even when I wrote my endo book, like, God, it's who wants to that shit can be boring. Like some medical shit can be boring, but if you break it down in a relatable, warm, friendly way, it can make a world of difference. So I think, yeah, there was obviously a huge void there that you were able to fill with the book, and it's so pretty and colourful too. And then there was the other thing I, you know, wanted to work with the designers, and you know, the designers at HarperCollins sort of was so great working with me and so passionate about making this book beautiful, yep. and we wanted it to feel it's a nice size too. It's a cute nice little size. size. It's almost compact. we wanted it to almost feel like like a coffee table book yeah. about mental health, which, yep. you know, might not sound like the best thing, but we're like, if we can make it beautiful, we wanted it to be almost like a book that, you know, you might buy because it it's beautiful, but then secretly it's going to be really challenging and helpful, yeah. you know, and that, that sort of was the idea. And also, you know, it's got the orange ribbon, you yeah. know, because we wanted it to, you know, almost feel like a book that you can kind of dip in and out of, you know, and we were like, what books do you do that? Oh, 
cookbooks and they had tend to have a ribbon. Yay. So we were like, if we put the ribbon in there, make it beautiful, maybe people are going to pick it up and just dip into it and then maybe actually go deeper into it. And then it might invite them to really start to think about doing some personal work because unfortunately it was, it's not so much a feel good book as a let's get uncomfortable and actually do some of the hard stuff kind of book. Yeah. I feel like you're so mindful with how you're communicating the ideas and the practical tips and exercises, but you're not sugarcoating it either. Yeah. So it wants to balance. feel like a good friend. And what I mean by a good friend is one of those Honest ones friend. that actually tell you how it is, right? Yeah. They're there to, to hold you and to, you know, cook for you and to hug you and give you the love, but they're also there to kind of tell you how it actually is. Yeah, we're not beating around the bush. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. I, yeah, I, I thought the forward was really powerful and you note how people – yeah, come and see you to seek relief from the uncertainty. And we've talked about uncertainty a lot in how that plays with closure and you highlight the importance of, and the possibility that is of, of letting go and surrendering and embracing that. It might be too much of a personal question, but like how have you navigated that throughout your life as, as I guess a psychologist, but also a guy out here just living? <laughs> yeah, and those two things, are, it's useful to see they're similar. You know, sometimes we think psychologists, you know, we become these people that are just great at living or great at life. Yeah. But we're not. We're just like everyone Same. else trying to, trying to make our, trying to make this really challenging thing, which is like living a meaningful life work. Yeah. So, yeah, for me, I think it has become that building a different relationship with my emotions. You know, when we talk about uncertainty, when we talk about, you know, closure, you know, these things, we have this idea that we're kind of going to be able to do something that makes those feelings go away, that makes those memories go away. And I think what I've learned through my study of psychology, but also just in my life generally, is actually those, you know, feelings, they're there for a reason, mm. you know, they're not going to go away. And I think over time, I've just learned to notice my emotions, like every day still, I would do a check in where I say, what am I feeling? Why does it make sense that I feel like that and what do I need? Like in these, it's very easy to talk about emotions and all this stuff in kind of a theoretical way. Mm. But I'm passionate about kind of trying to give people these practical things, you know, that because that's how we change our life, actually by doing little things that actually start to build a new relationship with our emotions or a new kind of behavior in our life. And um, it's tough, but it starts small. And that's always where I want people to, to think is is just what's something you do today that's a little bit different, mm. a little bit more meaningful and that starts to add up over time and that's really the way I approach my life, you know. <laughs> when I'm feeling anxious, uncertain, don't know what the future is going to bring, I always kind of go, hang on, what's today? How do you get through today? What's one thing you can do today? Mm. And focus on that and then sure enough, the day we get through it and then the next day on you can the do the same time. thing. So and when you were talking about that in the book too, that was kind of linked with big change too, mm. right? And then linking that with closure because you – and you've said it earlier too how our brains have like evolved to have that aversion to making big changes. But it, it comes down to approaching big changes in small steps. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, the way I like to – I talk about this in the book is that I actually invite people to kind of stop setting goals. Right. And what I mean by that is sometimes when we I set, immediately love that. That <laughs> yeah, feels good as a release. Like yeah, just get, get rid God. of the goals. And it does feel like a release because sometimes we set these long-term goals and we've almost set ourselves up as a bit of a like deficit, almost like until we do that we're not going to feel truly, really that great. Yep. So it's kind of sets itself up for a bit of a loss because, you know, that thing is far in the future and until we get it, we're not going to feel great. Also, sometimes long-term goals, we forget how much of it is beyond our control. Like think about anyone who set any goals for 2020 or 2021, like those things did not happen, <laughs> right? And because it was beyond our control. Yeah. So what I do invite people to do rather than long-term goals is dream, as I call it. Like think about... Not how you're going to get there, but just big dreams for what you want your life to be. You know, just I'm all for dreaming. But then when it comes to actually getting there, don't think about where you want to be in a year and or goals in a year. But just think about, well, if that's what I want my life to be, what's one thing I can do in the next 24 hours, which I call an action? Mm -hmm. What's something you can do in the next 24 hours that will help make that happen? So it's like big dreams, but then incredibly achievable actions Breaking is, it down a bit. is I think how people change their life because yeah. we have this mindset that like the way to change your life is to just be motivated and sheer willpower and set that goal and then if you just set your mind to it you can achieve it it doesn't work because 
then you do something you don't do something and then you feel guilty and shame about it and all of a sudden you just you just give up mm. it's much better to just set a really achievable thing achieve that and then feel good about it yeah. and then that achievement actually motivates you to do another little thing yeah. and another little thing and that's really how we change our lives They're like little nibbly bits just yeah. little bites. One bit at a time. Bites of goodness. One bit at a time. That's some sound advice and I think that's perfect to to close on too, Chris. Thanks so much for joining me and Daisy. It's <laughs> been um, lovely. I'm sure so many people will get a lot out of that and I'll put the link to your book in the show notes of the episode. But thank you so much. Thanks so much and thank you, Daisy. <laughs> <laughs> Look at her. She's been such a good girl now. <laughs> Yep, as mentioned and as promised, I have put the link to Chris's new book in the show notes of this episode. I highly recommend purchasing it. And as you heard him say, it does. It definitely makes for like a nice coffee table read. It's such a beautiful book and there's a lot of love and warmth in it and a lot of frank truths as well. It's um, comforting, but it's also practical. So go check it out. And I'll put his link to his um, Instagram too. He's a great account to follow, post some really great content doesn't gatekeep which we love but thank you so much for listening to figuring out 30 i'm bridget husway this podcast is a one-woman show i create it on the lands of the wawandri people of the kulin nation and i appreciate your support so much like if you have a minute if you like what you're hearing to review it or rate it um even share it with your friends and also if there's any like direct comments that you want to leave or a question or anything you can actually do that in spotify there's like this new function so go have a, a little fiddle with that and um, also follow Figuring Out 30 on Instagram. Just recently launched a new page there where I posted the video snippets of my chats with the guests that I have on for each episode. Just nice to put some, you know, faces to voices. Um, so, yeah, that's at Figuring Out 30 podcast on Instagram. Thank you so much for listening and I will catch you next week. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.